Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. One thing I wanted to ask Tim the lawyer is... uh. He tweets a lot. How does he? How does he keep up on all this or fi- find all the stuff on Twitter? So how much time does it take to peruse the Twitter? And I want to be one of those people, but I just, I just can't seem to fit it into my life. Well, this job's a bit of a time suck too. But yeah. I'd imagine Tim's is as well. Tim Sandifer is the vice president for litigation for the Goldwater Institute. He is uh, the author of a number of fine, fine books, including The Ascent to Jacob Bronowski, Frederick Douglass, Self-Made Man, which should be read by every man, woman, and child in America, and a bunch of books about uh, liberty, particularly economic liberty. Um, you ought to look it up and, and read two or three of them. Uh, Tim Sandifer joins us. Tim, how are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. It's been a while. Hey, can I can I ask one just general question? Then we'll get into some of the nitty gritty. Yeah. Uh, uh, Supreme Court just wrapped up their year. You more or less happy with the direction that the Supreme Court's going, or more or less not happy? I'm more or less happy, but cool. you know the big story to me that is fr- uh, that is not covered enough is how frustrating it is that the Supreme Court hears fewer and fewer cases every year. It's as if they're trying to put themselves out of business. And they'll, they'll take these cases that on a highly technical legal issues that maybe a few people care about and then totally ignore major legal controversies that have to be resolved. And, of course, when they don't take the case, that just means that the lower courts get to be the final say. Yeah. And that just increases the confusion. It's very frustrating how few cases they take. Do you have a couple of examples of lower cases you think they should have taken up, big, big issues? Well, Justice Thomas has actually been writing some decisions saying, hey, we should take these cases, cases about whether, for instance, it's legal, the, what the status is of federal regulation of marijuana now that it is, yeah. uh, it is legal in more states than not, and yet the federal law hasn't changed. Does that mean that it violates due process to arrest somebody on federal charges in a state where it's legal? Things like that. And the court just shrugs and moves on. I know Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, is concerned with the court's image and and that it not be seen as political. The rest of it is he just over cautious? Is he leading the court in a hyper cautious direction in terms of the cases they take on? I think that is part of it. It's a kind of a politics, but it's not the kind of politics we're accustomed to. It's judicial politics. And what's frustrating about that is that it it tends to come out as very arbitrary, and it tends to increase the power of judges. My favorite example of this is a a case several years ago called Bond versus the United States, where there was a chemical weapons treaty that prohibited any kind of poisonous substance. And this woman tried to poison her husband's girlfriend with a poisonous substance and was brought up on charges under, of of all things, the Chemical Weapons Treaty, which is crazy. But that is what the law said. And what Justice uh, Roberts did was he said, well, that's not what they really meant by chemical poisons. What they really meant was stuff like mustard gas. Well, okay, maybe. But that's not what they said in the law. So what he's doing is essentially rewriting the law to suit what he thinks would have been a more reasonable law, except that's not what was actually enacted. That's very frustrating. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Interesting indeed. So I know, uh, and I I absolutely want to get to the so-called antitrust stuff that the administration put out the other day. I saw you had some really strong tweets on it. Uh, But I know you've got a couple of victories recently in a couple of different circuit courts, right? What was that, that all about? That's right. We had three big wins in this issue that we at the Goldwater Institute have been litigating about state laws that force lawyers to join bar associations to practice law. Now, 
The bar association is not the same thing as the bar exam. Everybody has to take the bar exam. But once you pass that, then I am forced in some states, including Arizona, I'm forced to join this organization, which is really just a trade association, and to pay them three, four, five hundred dollars a year, which they then go and spend on lobbying the government and publishing editorials that take a political position that I myself might disagree with. And this happens in states across the country. And the Supreme Court has said you can't do that when it comes to labor unions. You can't force somebody to join a union and then force them to pay for the lobbying that that union does. And yet it's okay for lawyers. So we've taken this issue on and we won a, a series of cases, most recently in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, where the court said, yes, you cannot, it is unconstitutional to force this on lawyers. And you know, now when people hear about this, a lot of times they're like, why, why should I care about lawyers? But state bars have a very powerful influence with state legislatures. And a lot of legislatures, they just assume that the state bar speaks for all lawyers and they defer to them. Yep. And a lot of the time, the state bar funds political campaigns that are that are on the opposite side. I did a case a few years ago where my client was in favor of a ballot. And he was a lawyer. He's in favor of a ballot initiative that was um, like it was like no fault um, uh, custody for children in the case that, of divorce. Right. So that there is no presumption for one side of one parent or the other. And it turned out that his mandatory bar dues were funding the no campaign, even though he was in favor of it. In fact, the bar was the was the largest contributor to the no campaign. So he's being forced to fund his own opposition. That's does, does the state bar tend to have a consistent uh, ish uh, political view? Oh, they tend to be on the far left uh, in most states most of the time, taking oh. positions on, you know, against in Louisiana, for instance, another case we did in Louisiana, the state bar spent money to oppose free enterprise education in the schools, because I guess we can't teach kids about free enterprise. Wow. 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 You've mentioned before that the law schools of America are way left these days. What happened, do you suppose? You know, people who are not lawyers have no idea how bad the situation is. The, the the bar is overwhelmingly left, and not just left, but like very far ultra left. And I think a, a large part of it is romanticism from the 60s. A lot of the legal community still has this idea about the civil rights days, and they think that they're crusading pioneers for freedom. And, you know, those are that is a glorious history. Unfortunately, today that's not what they're advocating. Today what they're advocating is taking more of your earnings away and giving it to other people, opposing rational sentencing policies, opposing restrictions on government's power to take away your private property, things like that. It's, a, it's really an unfortunate situation. Hey, I have one more question, and then maybe next segment we can get to the whole so-called antitrust stuff. But uh, yeah. and this is this is kind of like uh, the opposite of the Supreme Court. This is dumb guy court. I'm gonna I'm going to set up the case dumbly, <laughs> and then we're gonna have to dumb down the answer probably. But it's it's a First Amendment thing. Um, it's it's the big tech. Uh, censoring of so-called misinformation, etc., deplatforming people, banning people. And the question is, if Facebook says, we just ban you if you violate the government's regulations on what is COVID misinformation, and we are actively consulting with the government on what should be banned... And the government has regulatory power over us and regularly threatens our business model. Does that bother you, Tim, as a libertarian? Well, I'll whip out the classic lawyer answer and say it depends. 
Uh, it depends on how much government influence you're talking about. If it's a situation where Facebook is basically having its arm twisted by the government in order to silence people, yeah, of course that raises a serious uh, constitutional problem. Government can't just come in and, and basically take over a newspaper and tell them what kind of articles they can and cannot run. But that's not been what we normally see. What we normally see is situations where the, the business is authentically, independently saying, we're not going to run this kind of article or that kind of article. And maybe the government encourages them one way or the other, and that doesn't raise a, a First Amendment violation. Well, in this case, the uh, the people from Facebook said they are in uh, in in constant consultation with the government agencies about what should be allowed and what shouldn't be. That that seems to me just farming out First Amendment violations once removed. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on what exactly they're meaning by consultation. If it's just consultation, that would be one thing. Or, if, but if they're using that as a euphemism for obeying government's mandates, then that would be a serious problem. I'm thinking about, uh, so you mentioned law schools have gone way left, and um, you know there's all kinds of examples out there. Facebook's like, what is that law or theorem or axiom or whatever it is that uh, everything ends up liberal over time? <laughs> yeah, right. There is. Oh, I can't remember the name of it now, but I could look it up. But there's there's a, a rule that, uh, that says uh, any organization that is not expressly conservative will become liberal over time. That, and and my experience is that that is absolutely true. It definitely seems to be the case, doesn't it? Well, I think it's because liberals tend to be much more committed to their ideological vision, whereas conservatives tend to want to let people live their own lives. Yeah, if you if your if your ideology is I want to be completely left alone to do what I want, and I want, and to, I leave, want to leave you alone, and I want yeah. to leave other people alone. Of course, you're not quite as into trying to change things. Yeah, yeah. Tim Sandifer, vice president for litigation, the Goldwater Institute, is on the line. We're going to talk about that big sprawling announcement from the Biden administration the other day in which they uh, vowed to bring back competitiveness and reshape the American business landscape to make it better for all of us. Uh, That conversation, much more to come. Don't go away. Democrats in the Texas legislature uh, left left the state trying to force an issue to happen. Or uh, force the vote not to happen. Exactly. Um, so uh, we can talk about that later and a number of other things we need to get to. But first, we got to one of our favorite guests on the line today. Indeed, and a good friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show, Tim Sandifer, Vice President for Litigation with the Goldwater Institute. Tim, thanks for hanging around, as always. Man, my pleasure. So our uh, beloved ancient president uh, unleashed a gigantic, sprawling executive order on Friday. It contains 72 separate initiatives, each of which contains several sub-initiatives, uh, allegedly challenging the, the face of competition in America or something or other. What is it and what you make of it? Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of it is, is it, like with most executive orders, it's lots of fireworks with not much fire. Uh, so most of it is stuff that either is just, you know, we encourage agencies to do the following, that sort of thing, or it's stuff that actually they can't do to begin with. And it, you're right, it can include 72 different sections. It's very long and complicated, and it includes some really good stuff. Let's start out with the good stuff. It's, it, it includes some things that reduce anti 
free market things that the federal government does. For instance, it says the FDA has to allow more drug imports from Canada that currently are not allowed by government restriction. It, it requires the Department of Health and Services to allow the sale of hearing aids over the counter instead of through the complicated process that regulations currently require. Those sorts of things are good. And actually, Joe, I know you'll particularly like this. It tells the FTC to take action against unnecessary occupational licensing laws. Right? These are laws that say if you want to braid somebody's hair, you have to get a barber license and things like that. So it, those things are really good. Reducing government's restrictions on free competition is always a good thing. Now, here's the problem. The FTC doesn't really have any power over occupational licensing. I mean, that's mostly done <laughs> by state law. And the FTC can't come in and, there and tell states what to do. It can sue states, but most of the time the law allows states to do this, so the FTC couldn't really even sue them in most cases. So a lot of that is, you know, it sends a nice message, but it doesn't really do anything. So my sink is clogged and I ordered my dog to do something about it. Well, fabulous. <laughs> right. It's that sort of thing, yeah. No, and, and it also includes some bad things. And the, the bad things are um, really sort of doubling down on the problems of all antitrust law. The problem with antitrust law is that it takes what is a good idea, which is that, that there should be a free market with lots of competition, and then it turns, it turns it completely upside down and says government should be in charge of deciding what kind of competition occurs, when, where, and how. And, of course, that's the opposite of competition, to have the government in charge of deciding what kind of competition is allowed. And so, the, for example, this order says that the FTC should promulgate rules that restrict unfair competition. Well, what is unfair competition? It's whatever a politician says it is, right? If I'm selling less than the guy next door, he thinks that's unfair, so he's going to run off to the politician and complain about it, right? The, the order tells the FTC to, in, to, to engage in greater scrutiny of mergers between uh, multiple companies. Well, companies merge when it's, in their pro when it's profitable to do so. Why is it profitable do, to do so? These consumers willingly buy the goods and services that these companies provide. And if a company gets big and powerful because it's providing me with goods and services that I want at prices I'm willing to pay, that's a good thing. They shouldn't be punished for it. The idea that government should go in there and punish Punish big companies for being big means punishing success, and that's a large part of what the Biden administration's antitrust policy is about. So you're all about freedom and that sort of stuff. Uh, now that we're almost a able to say we're on the other side of this freaking pandemic, were you as shocked as us at how much freedom was taken away and how easily people uh, just said oh, okay to it, whether it was schools or businesses or churches or whatever. I was shocked. I never thought that could happen. At how willingly people were yeah. to go along with it. Well, you know, part of it is this was a, a, a complicated problem for those of us who believe in freedom because we agree that government has some role to play in protecting people from disasters of this kind. And so it's not the sort of thing like you often hear where the government's doing something that it should absolutely never do at all. This was a thing where there were some things that were okay and some things that weren't, and that made it harder to draw lines. But I think the, the real answer to your question, why did people go along with it, is because they have been trained for a century now in the United States to look to government to, to be their nurturer and their protector and their supplier and their provider. The, the, it's, there's this psychology that is developed around the regulatory welfare state that says 
government is here to protect me, and that's what government exists to do. Now, you that's and I what think scared me. Yeah, exactly. That's what scared me. For instance, you know, they they had the the, the dust up in uh, L.A. County where they were making. They said no outdoor dining, and 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 somebody said, hey, so show us any proof. That we can't eat outdoors. What do you've got to back that up? People just, people just took, you know, the local county health commissioner's word for these things. And then did things like build a, a tent outside that then they closed all the sides of it, which means it's not even really right. an outdoor. Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah. No, a lot of it was really insane. And I think a large part of it is because we have really, especially in California, I think, drilled into people this idea that government is, is your, your protector and your provider. And that's a, it's, a, it's deprived people of the imagination to allow them to understand what liberty is. Yeah, that's what that's what troubles me the most is we were so trained for so long that people just said, oh, I guess the school should be closed, even though I haven't heard any good reason for it. Maybe now would people be people do this all the time. Ahead. They say, well, how, if government didn't do it, who would? And it, it's inca- they're incapable of thinking, well, maybe private industry could come up with a better solution to these problems. Well, that sort of reminds me of back in when the illegal immigration was an even hotter topic and people said, who's going to pick the lettuce? And our answer was always somebody or nobody or a machine. Let's find out. <laughs> anyway, perhaps and, now know, is a good gets, time to... Uh, I'm sorry, Tim, we're, we're like completely out right. of time. Uh, no, that's okay. Uh, maybe now's a good time to uh, plug the Permission Society, uh, Tim's book that was inspired by conversations on this show. Uh, it's very good, and it's all about liberty and uh, how we've kind of lost our sense of it. Tim Sandifer, the Goldwater uh, uh, Foundation. Thanks a million, Tim. Thank you, guys. You still have your beard? Uh, t- going on 10 years now, yeah. Wow. 10 years wow. you've had your beard. Wow. That's wow. a good old beer. <laughs> oh, it is indeed. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Six wins it, and now it's five that will win it. Another massive shot from Alonzo. Four to win it. Like a countdown. Three to win it. Two to win it. He's not missing. One more to win it as Alonzo comes out of the timeout and walks it off. What a finish. Alonzo defends his title. The 2021 Derby champion put the belt on again. What a show! I don't know that dude. Who's what's his name? That's Pete, Pete Alonzo. Alonzo. Pete Alonzo. Who does he play for? The New York Mets. And um, he won the home run derby last night, which I did not see. I forgot to watch. Yeah, I watched a bunch of it, but it's too long. I mean, it's practically as long as a Major League Baseball game. I mean, it's long. Well, Here's my idea. I got commercials to sell, man. Oh yeah, yeah. I should shut up. It's all about the commercials. You got to give each guy ten swings. There's ten guys. Each guy gets ten swings. The bottom two are out. Keep going until you got a champion. What you always have to remember about everything you see, really, right, is it's a for-profit business. They're not actually concerned about who the best <laughs> baseball hitting guy in the world is. Right. They're concerned about selling a whole bunch of Ford trucks or Nike yes. shoes or whatever. Yes. And that's the whole point. True that. Uh, a couple of breaking news stories that are kind of interesting. So the defense lawyers 
have uh, have filings in court now. Their argument is, do you remember when those the bearded lunatics claimed they were going to uh, kidnap the governor of Michigan and take her to Wisconsin and put her on trial or something like that? And then perhaps execute her. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But the, 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 the briefings have been filed in court, and so this is now known. They're arguing that the FBI used at least 12 informants in the alleged plot and led them that direction induced or persuaded the defendants to go along with the kidnapping scheme. This reminds me of, I was always wondering this about the various uh, terrorists that they arrested. You know, in the years after 9-11, they're always arresting this guy or, or that, and they'd come across some lunatic who is, you know, uh, on the Internet in his bedroom, and they would uh, be an FBI agent and start, hey, you kind of interested in uh, pulling off a plot? I know where you can get a bomb. And the next thing you know, they want to get a bomb, and they get a bomb, and it's a fake bomb. And they arrest them for getting a bomb. And you just wonder, you know, how far down the road would they have gone if the FBI hadn't, you know, uh, hung this red meat right in front of their face? So Right. I almost wish Tim Sandifer was still with us. Because to me, if I mean, if if I'm sitting around reading a book or something... And a friend proposes, I mean, I'm trying to come up with the right metaphor. The, the long and short of it is, if that person never would have done what they did, but for the FBI saying, hey, do you want to? What kind of system is that exactly? I don't know. It's and almost that, a little secret police-ish, but it's it's fuzzy. It's difficult to draw a line. Obviously, the other side of it is, like, you could, uh, you could contact me as an FBI uh, undercover agent and say, hey, I, I can get you a bomb. You want to blow up a federal building? And I'd say, what the frig are you talking about? I'd go to the cops. You know, sure. so, um, you know, there's that end of it, too. Uh, you interested in a uh, kidnapping? I was, I was online. I saw you. I kind of hate the governor of Michigan, too. You want to kidnap her with me? And we'll take her to Wisconsin and maybe execute her. Yeah, I'm in. Um, so that's what they're going to argue in court. And to what extent yeah. they induced, what is the language, induced or persuaded? I don't know. But it'll be kind of interesting to see how many FBI agents they had in there, how long they strum along, how much they induced or persuaded. So, Hey, if you're an expert or something like an expert in that part of criminal law, drop us an email, would you? Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Where is the line? Is there a line? Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. The other or if the government says, hey, would you like to join a criminal conspiracy to keep, compete, to, to uh, commit multiple felonies, and you say, yeah, I guess that's enough. Yeah. So uh, the other kind of breaking news is the Texas House has voted, and it's heavily Republican, the House. The Democrats left the state. The Republicans are still there in Texas. And the Texas House voted to send law enforcement to find the dozens of absent Democrats under warrant of arrest, if necessary, for blocking voter integrity legislation. So, well, uh, dozens of them flew to Washington, D.C., right? Yeah, to so take uh, you know publicity picks with AOC? If I may put it in Texan terms, they're forming a posse. Hmm. And they're going to go get them. I'd like to see them rope them and drag them back. Huh? Exactly. Rope them. Brand them. Well, you don't want to drag them because you might hurt somebody, but certainly rope them and and then tie them to the airplane seats. <laughs> Whatever you got to do, right? Right. So, uh, quick word from our friends at Simply Safe before we forge ahead because there's so much to talk about. But uh, did you know the Simply Safe's uh, founders, a married couple, designed their first security system because their friends just had their home broken into, and they were struggling to find a security system that was simple to set up, would make them feel safe, but was actually usable. So they came up with Simply Safe 15 years ago. Yep, they've got a passion to protect people that drives every engineering detail of its products. Um, it motivates every interaction with the customers, so it's this simple. You go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong, you click around for a couple of minutes, 
to uh, get a system designed exactly for your home. Then you get it in the mail and you set it up yourself. And then Simply Safe has highly trained experts ready whenever you need them, whether it's fire, burglary, medical emergency, or just setting up the system. Ah, oh, wait a minute. It's not just a burglar alarm, fire, medical emergencies, and floods, and that sort of, yeah. Learn more about Simply Safe and how they can help protect you and your family at simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Customize that system. It's easy. Get a free security camera because you know us. 60 day risk free trial. Nothing to lose. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. That stuff that Tim the lawyer said about we have been conditioning people in this country for a hundred years. To believe, to just just kind of have a knee jerk reaction of, well, I better ask if it's okay before you do anything on your private right. property in your private life. You need to get permission from the government, and uh, it's it's troubling. We I mean we're so far down that road. We used to have an assumption of liberty, unless there was a specific and really well reasoned um, uh, argument against us doing something or a law that was specific and well reasoned. You can do what you want. Just don't hurt anybody. Now it's the opposite. There's a presumption that you must uh, look into what the government will let you do. I've been reading this uh, anarchy book I just started in last night by Michael Malice. I've talked about him before. Have you ever caught any of his podcasts or any of his act anywhere? Not that I recall. Really an interesting dude. He's an anarchist, but his version of anarchy is not uh, the one you're probably thinking of. It's, It's still too complicated for me to quite wrap my head around, but really at the root of it, it is... Just getting away from this idea that somebody is in charge of you. You're in charge of yourself, except with, with, you know, certain, within certain parameters, you are in charge of yourself. And that's the way it should be for everybody on earth. And we, everybody on earth is way too conditioned to having other people determining what you can do about with your life. Um, right. Anyway, right. I'm going to be learning more about that and bringing you details as I go. You know, an aphorism or a clever saying is no proof of truth. I think Plato said that, or one of your ancient thinkers said that. On the other hand, one of my favorites is, because it made me stop and think, liberals want Democrats to be in control. Conservatives want Republicans to be in control. Libertarians wonder why you want to be controlled. Mm. Think about it. Good one. And, you know, it's small L libertarian. It's not the party or anything. It's in, in, and what libertarian means has changed over time. John F. Kennedy was unquestionably a libertarian by modern standards. I mean, like a hardcore one, uh, because he believed in free enterprise and letting business do its thing and people relying on themselves and the rest of it. Um, just that, that presumption of being controlled. Note it in yourself and, and think about it and, and reject it because it's 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 awful. It's it's awful on an incredibly powerful fundamental level because it changes everything about the way people and societies think and the way they function, how they relate to each other. Liberty, folks, it's it's more important than most people understand by many many multiples. The Emmy nominations just came out. Alex, can you get me, like, the headlines from those? Maybe we'll get to those next segment. That usually tips me off to some shows I need to watch. Oh, that's how I ended up watching uh, S Creek, uh, uh, was when they got every single Emmy nomination and won all the awards one year. I'd never watched the show, and I thought, man, I need to check this out. Turns out it's one of my favorite shows of all time. So I tried it? again. Too dry. Too dry. <laughs> it's just a little, I don't know, a little moist, a little sauce on there. Can I get some more of that sauce, please? <laughs> Too dry. Once you get into the groove of it, though, it is just, oh, my God. Anyway, Maybe I'm just too dumb. Um, I doubt Too that. unsophisticated. Uh, which oh, direction you know do you want to go? 
I can't decide. Do we have time this hour? Maybe uh, during the award-winning fourth hour of the Armstrong and Getty Show, which if you don't get live, you can get via podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. A bunch of different people talking about the situation in Cuba and what ought to be done. Mostly it's a lot of strong talk about standing in solidarity with the Cuban people. And by golly, the regime better do the right thing. Of course, as an old buddy of mine used to say, an order without a sanction is merely a suggestion. Mm. So you, you better be careful when you, you treat your people right or what. I suppose, you know, saying we're in solidarity with them is better than nothing. But I just... Mm, I say we invade the of Bay blah, of blah, Pigs. Blah. Oh, boy. Jad, I need to talk to you during the commercial break. Oh, and then uh, maybe the most dangerous thing going on in America right now, although there are several nominees is uh, the Democratic Party, the White House, and others engaging in cataclysmic talk about any reasonable effort to ensure voting fidelity. Any, like, just show an ID, please, so we know the guy voting is Joe Jones is Joe Jones. Even that is being described in apocalyptic terms as if we're hunting people down and reinstituting slavery. And I think that's incredibly dangerous. The reason the Major League All-Star game is in Colorado tonight instead of Atlanta where it was supposed to be is the dust up over the election laws in Georgia, which was as phony a conversation as we've had in this country. Those laws which are significantly more liberal than those in Joe Biden's home state of Delaware, as you've heard. Anyway, all that stuff we mentioned, including uh, at least the highlights from the Emmy nominations coming up. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. He'll also decry efforts to strip the right to vote as authoritarian and anti-American uh, as a, uh, and stand up against the notion that politicians should be allowed to choose their voters or to subvert our system by replacing independent election authorities with partisan ones. And he will highlight the work of the administration against this, the necessity of passing the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, and how we need to work together with civil rights organizations to build as broad a turnout and voter education system to overcome the worst challenge to our democracy since the Civil War. Well, I don't find that at all dangerously hyperbolic. Showing an ID is... Uh, is the greatest challenge to our democracy since the Civil War. Yeah, I mean, I even if some of it you don't like, okay, let's talk about it. I wish we could all lay down our war, our arms in the in the hyperbole wars. Uh, you know, have the have Joe Biden and who's the top Republican in America? I don't know, Trump. Have Joe Biden and Trump lay down their arms, say, okay, no more hyperbolic statements. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Because we've we've apparently everybody feels like that the only way you can cut through is to say something extraordinarily over the top. And that definitely does seem to be the case. And so you have to say really mild changes in the voting laws in Georgia are Jim Crow on steroids, which is just an abomination of of a statement. And And that really makes people who, who get fired, for instance, for comparing something to the Holocaust, I mean, that is tame compared to something that incredible. Anyway, and then what she just said, worst thing since the Civil War, give me a break. Yeah, yeah, God, that is not good for a country. I don't know if it's just the 
Everything all the time, influence of the Internet and smartphones and the rest of it, it's impossible to break through without saying something just wildly inflammatory. I think that's most of it. This makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. Which was both inaccurate and nonsensical. <laughs> this Jim Eagle, I don't believe we've been introduced. But yeah, that, that, yeah. Mm. Well, I have many more gripes about Jen Psaki and some of the pronouncements from on high lately, but Jack wants to get to the more cheery world of entertainment. Well, I don't have the, like, so, so-and-so got the most nominations or anything like that, so that's what I really need to know, because I'm not going to go through all this boring the full list for you. Um, I saw somewhere that uh, Ted Lasso, the Jason Sudeikis uh, show on one of your streaming networks, got the mo- a whole bunch of nominations. That is a pretty good show if you have not watched it. That's second- the one I keep saying I'm going to watch and I keep forgetting. Yeah, second season, July 23rd. I'm waiting for it. Yeah, that's, is that that's- the soccer coach one? Yeah, but okay. yeah, but it really doesn't have much to do with soccer. It's all about the intricacies of soccer, the attack, defense, the midfield. Lots about the midfield. His marriage falling apart. That's because his midfield was weak. But anyway, more on that later. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so, okay, uh, let me uh, roll on with uh, Jen Saki. asked a question about uh, critical race theory, racism. This was shocking. Clip 26. Delegates of the National Education Association, they approved a measure last week calling for support of, quote, the implementation of culturally responsive education, critical race theory, and ethics studies curriculum in pre-K through 12 and higher education. Um, the president is obviously a big fan of education. Uh, First lady is a teacher. She's a, a union teacher. I'm wondering, what are the president's thoughts on anti-racism curriculum in the classroom? Well, the president believes that in our history, uh, there are many dark moments. And there is not just slavery and racism in our history. There is systemic racism that is still impacting society today. And he believes, as I believe, as a parent of children, that kids should learn about our history. Uh, so as a, the, the spouse of an educator and as somebody who is, continues to believe that children should learn uh, not just the good, but also the challenging in our history. And that's part of what we're talking about here, even as it's become politically charged. Okay, well, you're a smart person, obviously, and you're speaking for the president. So what is the systemic racism you're speaking of? I would like the examples, please. I would like it, uh, and I would like a chart breaking out your proof of this. See, that's the problem with the whole systemic racism thing. Yeah, I suppose there's a decent chance there could be systemic racism. There are some examples that are pretty good that I've heard of, um, and I don't know if this is race as much as it was class, and because uh, there are more well, a per, as a percentage, there are more black people that are poor than white people. There are more poor white people than black people. Um, yeah, I think you could just say there's an overlap between race and class to some extent. But anyway, like a lot of your um, uh, freeways were put through bad neighborhoods because you couldn't, you weren't going to get them through the good neighborhoods. So the the likelihood that you got a freeway overpass, you know, uh, you can hear all night and all day long, is more likely in a bad neighborhood than a good neighborhood, a, a lower income neighborhood, which would affect, uh, you know, percentage wise more black people, that sort of thing. But just in general, if you're going to teach systemic racism as being a thing in the United States, okay, the banking industry, people mention that a lot. Of, okay, give me the ex- nail it down and if you can't nail it down you can't say it well and even if you can nail it down what really troubles me because this is fine for law school classes or whatever uh because it's an interesting it's an interesting historical investigation but to to, to claim that you can teach this to second graders when you have to simplify it slash dumb it down to 
This country was built by racism for white supremacists. Our systems are still for white supremacists and white people are bad. Because that's all the little kids will take out sure. of it. It's insidious. And, you know, one more point that I, I never hear said this plainly. Five years ago, maybe two years ago, nobody even heard of this stuff outside of obscure law classes in liberal universities, right? Now every single school kid in America has to learn about it. In the, in the blink of an eye, wait a minute, what are you talking about? How, how can that transition be that quick and that important that we have to adopt it with nobody, with even a solid indication of what you're talking about? It's because it is not a set of beliefs, it's a tool. Critical theory and critical race theory is kind of an offshoot of it. It's just a technique for tearing down institutions. It was started in the 60s in France. So uh, a lot of uh, liberal pundits and some of my favorite Conservative pundits have been saying Republicans are making a big deal out of this because they think it's a winning issue, but critical race theory isn't actually going to be taught in schools. What did I just hear out of the spokesperson from the president of the United States? They're going to teach there's systemic racism in our schools. Well, in the American Federation of Teachers, President Randy Weingarten, one of the most evil people in the United States, just vowed that it would be taught in every single school. And when you say, whoa, 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 I'm familiar with critical race theory. It's not cool. It's it's radical stuff. They'll say, well, we're not teaching that. We're just teaching an honest history. And then, you know, five minutes later, they'll be saying, oh, yeah, we're going to teach uh, critical race theory in all the school. Well, it's like, uh, you know, Marxists uh, in uh, in the middle part of the 20th century were utterly aware that they couldn't refer to Marxism. In fact, they couldn't even refer to socialism. So they found euphemisms. It's like Barack Obama saying, we're not going for socialized medicine. We're just going for this because he knew the messaging was important. If you missed Tim Sandifer earlier this hour, for instance, or any part of the Armstrong and Getty show, you can catch the podcast at uh, armstrongandgetty.com, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.